0: Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hey, Squirrel. So um, today, we're going to continue on the topic of learning. Uh, It's not a direct continuation of our series on single loop and double loop. We're not going to triple loop learning today, I don't think. Gee, that would be fun if we could work out what that was. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to do loop-de-loop learning. No, nothing of that sort. We had a conversation. You're talking about something you're doing with one of your clients uh, that I thought had a nice uh, tie-in continuation of the learning theme. And uh, you'd actually told me you'd assign some homework. Can can you tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. So uh, I'm I'm going to be assigning some homework before my um, client has a retrospective. I'd like them to to do a little reading about uh, something relevant to the situation they're in. That very briefly, they have a a very classic problem where their uh, delivery isn't on time. And their delivery isn't on time, not because people who are actually doing the software coding and the software testing and the data modeling and so on don't know what's happening and don't know that it might be late, but because the information doesn't get from them to the people who are actually doing things like setting deadlines with customers and signing contracts. And this didn't work out very well for them. So the reading I'm going to suggest that they do is of uh, Appendix F written by Richard Feynman to the report by the commission who looked into the Challenger space shuttle and its explosion in, I think, 1986. We'll link in the the notes. And Feynman talks about a very similar situation at NASA, and I I think it's a great failure of learning, where the engineers were all saying, well, we think there's about a 1% chance this space shuttle might blow up if we launch it on a cold day, and so on. And all of the managers were saying, well, actually, there's about a one in 100,000 chance, a a thousand times less uh, chance that this will happen. And so it's perfectly fine. And we can send an ordinary civilian who's a teacher into space on this spaceship, and it'll be just fine. And of course, they proved to be catastrophically wrong. And And Feynman makes this great statement at the end. He says, for a successful technology, reality must take precedence over public relations, for nature cannot be fooled. So I really want them to hear that, <laughs> and I'd like them to be thinking about <laughs> what they could do. Um, but you, you had a really good point about the part where you say what they could do. You, you, yeah. you actually took issue with Mister Feynman a bit.
0: Well, that's it's not so much an issue, but I, I do know that people can often come out of retrospectives or different reflective practices with some sort of aha moment. And I, you know, Feynman's conclu- concluding line there is a fantastic aha moment. Oh, I see. You know, that's right. We we really in the future. We've got to make sure reality takes precedence. But how do you do that? I mean, that's the, that's the challenge. It's, it's kind of, you, you have this realization, but then it's, it's not really to the point where it's going to impact what you do in the future. And I think that's really important. That, that became one of kind of my touchstones Several years ago, when I came across this quote by a guy named, I think it's Reg Rivens, um, who apparently is the father of something called action learning. That sounds great. We, we'd really like action learning. I don't know what it is, but it sounds amazing. Um, but he he has this this quote, uh, which, are, which really s- struck with me. It says, there can be no learning without action and no action without learning and uh what i took away from this i i don't know what he meant but what i took away was um every time we act we have the opportunity to learn if we reflect on it and from that reflection we have the opportunity to change our future behavior and furthermore if we don't change our behavior in the future then i don't think we can really say that we've learned we may have had an experience but until that um experience uh crystallizes into a change of future behavior, I, I don't think it's fair to say that we've that we've learned. And and that's that's to me I think what's was interesting. We talked here previously about different types of learning styles of running single loop and double loop and whatnot, and we can have this sort of aha moment, but then how do we go and take this learning and and put it into action? For example, in, in Feynman's case, he says
1: reality must take precedence. Well, what do you do? So that's that's a nice statement to to write on a sticky note or Carve into the wall, but how do, how do you make that active? How do you actually do something about it?
0: Right now, this came up uh, this this topic in a in a recent conversation. Where we we were talking about Feynman, and a, a, as a big Feynman fan, I uh, was a fan of that appendix. So this is not a, in any way a, a blasting him, but really the, the question of how do we how do we we take this learning? Now we we had had in in our sort of our long list of ideas to talk about in the podcast um, a, a story. Um, about ejection decision uh, that we thought was relevant. Perhaps you can, you can tell us a little bit about that story. Sure. So, uh, well, again, as
1: always, link in the comments. But this is a uh, article by a person who flies a helicopter, a, a medical helicopter that flies into people who are in desperate trouble and takes them to hospital. And he was flying on a foggy day. And he describes how he had not taken on board learning that he wishes he had And he flew in a dangerous situation where it was very foggy and uh, he had patients who were in desperate trouble, who were really, really uh, in need of immediate attention. And he flew against his better judgment through a foggy area where he could have hit a mountain or a tree or a a light pole or something because he was flying very low. And he said, gosh, this really wasn't very smart for me to do. And the patients died anyway. And I could have killed everybody by doing this. And I feel pretty dumb. And what he refers to is this uh, um, video, which we'll also link to, uh, about ejection decisions where the Air Force trains people who ply fighter jets and other experimental aircraft in when to push that big red button that we've all seen in movies and things where you push the button and you go shot out of the aircraft. And everybody says, well, I, I, if I if I didn't push it, I, uh, it's not that I pushed it too early or that I pushed it with um, too much uh, interest, it's I might have pushed it too late, that they they definitely want to err on the side of pushing it rather than not and ejecting. And the way the Air Force trains them is to think about what their pre-planned action will be in each case, in particular, if this or that or the other thing happens. If I get this indication, then without thinking, I'm going to push this button because I won't have enough time to go and reflect on it because if I do, the airplane might explode. And the point of the article is that the helicopter pilot wishes he had had a similar automatic reaction, a preplanned action of foggy equals fly helicopter slower, even if patients are dying.
0: Right. And I really liked the formulation that came out, uh, which I think is in, in the article where he's quoting the the video. And the point says that, that the, the pilot's been interviewed. Um, so that the decision, as you said, was made long before a, a very simple framework in their head that you said a pre-plan action. like, if I encounter these conditions, I will take this action, right? So if this, then that, and I, what's powerful about that is it fits very well for then what do we hope to do when we're, when we're reflecting, it's not just getting the aha moment. It's also trying to get to the point of what are these actions actually being, how are they going to be different? Um, and, And that's having that idea to say that we can decide not just that how we want to be better. Not just that, for example, reality must take precedence. Uh, you know, we we don't want to um, make mistakes because we're worried about public relations. Um, how can we take that into action? And this this quote has always been very helpful for me from the time I came across it. So, for example, one place that we've applied it uh, will be in um, actually all kinds of different discussions. Will we we have. Um, monthly discussions on our we call people ops study group where we look at different um, articles and we say, well, okay, if we believe what we read in this article, what would we do differently? Uh, or uh, we, we're currently doing a book club where we're reading the new edition of um, Release It. And similarly for each chapter, we say, is, is there something here we would apply? And by apply, we mean what's what's the action we would take and why would we take it? And
1: that's just such an important part of, say, a root cause analysis. I always say a root cause analysis or a retrospective that doesn't have a list of actions that you have a mechanism for checking on is a very interesting discussion, but not likely to be that valuable. Do you agree? Do you see it that way?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to distinguish between different types of actions, because uh, there are actions that you just simply go do in the moment. So- And, and you it, do them once. You do them once. Right. So the action from RIC edit says, well, um, next time we're going to go ahead and we're going to go create a, uh, an alert when the disk space gets below 10%. You know, Okay, great. You go do that. That's done. Um, and it's not actually just next time. It's like you walk out of the RCA, you walk over to your computer,
1: and you type in some code that says if disk space less than ten percent, then send alert, and then you're done. Yeah, you don't have to do anything more.
0: Yeah. So those actions are very important, and they help improve the system and make the system better forever going forward. That's great. But there's a different kind, which is this more around the sort of decision making that, that uh, the the uh, helicopter pilot was struggling with, which is you know there's there's conditions. That you're going to take an action that's dependent on conditions. It's a change in your thinking pattern. It's a change in your decision-making. That's right. And the point is, we're going to take the reflective time to make the decision that we will then enact at some uncertain point in the future. So one example that came out of RCA we had is, uh, I think actually this is maybe an RCA that you facilitated. And it was came to, to the realization that uh, there had been an outage and people in technology had been... Uh, very diligently trying to bring the system back up, and unfortunately, the people on the support line, the account managers, didn't know the state of the system. They didn't know that the system was offline, and they didn't know when it came back online, and that was difficult for them. Which makes it darn hard to answer the phone calls yeah. from the angry customers
1: saying, "Why isn't it
0: up?" That's right, and and so that and that was, had a big impact on them because they couldn't, you know, communicate that to people, and uh, that that was a uh, more problematic in a sense than than the problems that were happening in the system. So it led to a very nice pre-planned action, uh, which was when we are having an outage, someone from technology will communicate the state of the system to the account management team, including when it is resolved. But th- so that kind of that kind of pre-planned action, I think, is really uh, a, a powerful thought and one that we've we found uh, very very helpful in taking what was our our reflection and our learning and giving us something to do and, and, and giving us behavior change in the future. Um, for, if in your case, you're coming up on this uh, retrospective, people have gotten this homework. What, what's an example that you might come up with as a pre-planned action that might come out of that?
1: Yep. So the, the change of thinking that I'm thinking about, and of course, when we actually hold the retrospective, we may find something else is more useful and I'm completely open to that. But the, the change of thinking that, that is just sort of stuck in my brain uh, when I think about this problem is um, that the level of certainty that they felt they had And so the conditions that would cause them to take different action is the certainty about a a date. So if I'm really sure, if I'm sure enough that I'm going to try to sign a contract or do something else based on a future date when someone is going to do something, that's precisely the moment (laughs) when I should go and check what all the risks are to that delivery date and perhaps put on some error bars, some uh, uh, uncertainty bars around when that date might be. Well, you know, client, it might be done on the 1st of June or the 31st of July. It's somewhere in a two month range rather than it will be done on the 12th of July at 4 (laughs) PM.
0: So that, and that, and that would be a a great example of something that they might uh, come out as important learning from this. Uh, I, I think this, this idea of, 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 Pre planned actions is one that people will probably hear us talking about again in the future. um, And uh, because it's something that we uh, have found is a a very general and useful pattern uh, for uh, many different kinds of learning. Absolutely. And you know, it's so useful that I just thought of something which isn't going to fit in this
1: podcast, but I just want to sneak it in, which is what happens when you get a lot of these? And I bet you know what uh, what I'd be thinking. So when you get four or five things you're supposed to do on every outage or four or five things you're supposed to do whenever you have a, a really certain target date,
0: what do uh, you do? That sounds fantastic. We'll definitely get to that. Um, But I, and I think um, what I'm hoping is that this- A checklist is, is what's in my mind, but we'll come back that, to that one. That might be a a good topic for, for next week. But for this week, hopefully, this will might help people. And this is something that I've often heard people when they talk about problems with their agile implementation is they say our retrospectives, you know, they're pleasant and everything, but nothing really seems to come out of them. This idea of getting a pre-planned action as the output of your retrospective something that people might try. And that's something that uh, I think we'd love to hear from our our listeners if um, they've been able to do that.
1: Absolutely. As always, we love hearing your comments and questions and thoughts. Uh, you can find a way to email us at troubleshootingagile.com and feel free to drop us a line there. Sometimes we catch you on Twitter, but the best, most reliable way to get in touch with us is uh, to send us an email there.
0: All right. Well, thanks for that, Scroll.
1: Indeed. Thanks, Jeffrey. And more next time on uh, how to learn. All right. Talk to you then. Take care. Thanks, Jeffrey.